everyone, welcome. My name is Alonda Carter and I am the Recovering Hunbot and this is season one, episode two of Hey Hun, You Woke Up. This podcast is brought to you on 10 different platforms including Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, and iTunes. The video version is on YouTube. If you would like to support me as an anti-MLM content creator, you can join my Patreon. There'll be a link to that in the description. I've made it very simple and created three tiers, all very reasonable, ranging from $1 to $10 a month. And if you're listening to me on Anchor, you can donate to me through listener support. Today's guest is Dave Vaughn, and he teaches English, European history, AP psychology, and social studies. Dave, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for being here. Welcome, Dave, and thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And I understand that you've never been in MLM, but you came into the world and you are also an advocate. You're more anti-MLM than MLM since you weren't in it because you saw problems with it. Go ahead and tell us about how you got into the world of MLM and how you started dissecting it. Sure. Um, so I first was introduced to MLM without even knowing it was MLM. Um, my parents, uh, were invited to various parties, specifically my mom, uh, a neighbor up the road was involved in Avon, Pampered Chef, uh, Tupperware, uh, a lot of the sort of 1990s, early 2000s, uh, explorations with, with MLM. Um, but I didn't actually sort of get really involved in it until I moved to Taiwan. I was teaching English there, uh, in a high school. And I was making uh, quite a few friends with Taiwanese. And um, one of the friendships that I'd had sort of was breaking down and it didn't quite make sense to me why it suddenly just sort of went AWOL in a way. Um, so I, I was trying to explore it a little bit more, try to understand what, the, what was happening because the person was acting very differently from how I knew them. I knew they were involved in some sort of online shopping platform. They weren't very clear. Um, and they were asking other people to join this program and it wasn't obvious to me what it was. Um, I came to learn it uh, to be shop.com, which is a division of Market America. They have a variety of cosmetics and uh, nutraceutical products that they they sell. Um, And he was all consumed by this, this endeavor and he completely lost touch with me and many other people. He started to develop an idea that any time that he spent um, outside of that network or platform was a waste of time. He didn't really want to focus on friends anymore unless those friends were helping him with the business. Fun was sort of, a, it, it wasn't fun unless he was making money. And this was very much against everything that I had come to know of this person as. And it, it, it felt so overwhelming. I tried to address the, the problem with him. I, I walked him through one of the court cases that was filed against the company and he completely cast it aside and he was telling me that his parents even brought up some of these experiences with him and he told his parents which this is very unheard of in Taiwanese society to tell your parents either you're going to accept what I'm doing or I'm never talking to you again. Um, That was sort of really earth shattering for me in terms of realizing that this is much much bigger than I understand it. And I did a lot of research because of that experience, because I knew that this person was going through an incredibly tough time in their life to, to be making 
making these drastic changes to their social structure. They were calling the network that they were building that they had totally isolated themselves from other people as their hub, which I found unusual. It, it wasn't a common phrase that you would use with people that you had certainly discovered as, as something that was sort of positive as an experience. So it worried me. And as I came to knew, know more about Market America, I came to know more about Herbalife, Beachbody, Avon, all the others, and, and how many of them intersect in, in terms of their compensation plans, the methods in which they um, recruit individuals, the methods in which they retain those individuals. And I just felt like I, I couldn't just, just leave this one person that I knew out in the dark and just try one attempt. I, I needed to sort of better understand the whole situation. So I, uh, I've invested hours and days and months into better understanding this problem and trying to convey that understanding to others. And how do you feel that people are responding to you now in terms of, you know, you explaining it to them? Uh, well, the, the friend has completely lost touch with me and, and I, I've tried to interact with them on repeated occasions as well as I've become more familiar with their upline as well as some of the people in their downline just to sort of reach out to them and let them know like, hey, I am concerned about you. I, I've seen you do some remarkable things um, in other points in your life and I think that you are, have the absolute potential to do well in business. Um, if you're applied in the proper manner, but I, I really must caution you on this endeavor because it, it is, is very worrisome. Um, here's some statistics that I have regarding this. This is the compensation plan and the income statements that they've released. Um, I would like to talk this out with you and I'm, I welcome you to share the opportunity that you understand it as with me, but I, I never do get that that sort of experience. They, they typically cast me aside or say like, oh, you're such a genius. You understand everything about this plan. I know nothing. I guess I'm just in a pyramid scheme. It doesn't matter. And this, it, it, I don't want to characterize it as, as something that it is common um, in people because I, I haven't seen that before, but it, it was common among many, many people that I had met in Taiwan when, when you sort of came at them with, with this problem is, is that they sort of, build you up in a way that's condescending and just sort of make you feel like they're not listening at all to anything that I'm saying. And I, I still feel the, the need and, and guilt to try to help because I know it's damaging their life in a lot of ways and it's damaging other people that they're bringing in because they're convinced that it's helping. It's, a, it, it's changing their life for the better. And it, it's not when you look at it in any sort of financial, time, um, social aspect of it. But they just see it in terms of what they're being told by the company and the people that have trained them and what they're now saying to other people that they're now training. And it's just, it's, it feels so... So upsetting. So it, I'm not defeated by it because I feel like these are good people and I, I still know them as good people, but I just feel like they're so lost and I, I can't give up on, on them just on that basis. I need to keep trying to find ways and perhaps not to work directly with them, but to try to indirectly try to impact change and, and, and hopefully help not only them, but all the other people that are also in that very same situation. Well, I think that's 
a good reason why you are coming on my channel and speaking out because there are a lot of people who have complete misconceptions about multi-level marketing because I mean, and I was indoctrinated into it. You know, I was a beach body coach and I've said this often. It's like when you are in the thick of hunting, you can be on fire and deny the flames because you are so indoctrinated into the system. And it doesn't matter what anybody's going to say to you because right. you know better. And it sounds like that's exactly what was going on with when you have approached people. Yeah, now I, I foolishly like I. This was before I did. I did research into cult-like organizations, and I, I tried to bring it up with the the one close friend that I had, and I was saying like, you have to look at J.R. Redinger, who is the founder, and you, you can't deny that he he certainly displays characteristics that are are very questionable. And I I tr attacked him, which I should never have done. Like this, this is someone that. Admittedly, because he's in Taiwan, he doesn't hold him up as like the godly figure that I, I suppose some people in America would because he is more of a sort of champion of the American dream, not so much the, the same way that Taiwanese will ideal this person. But at the same way, because he is American, he is, he, and he's a businessman, there is a level of respect that is afforded to people, especially overseas, to these uh, like more sort of like the people who break through the international barrier um they're typically seen like even donald trump even though people people have concerns about him but they still see him as a successful businessman and, and that's how he's viewed overseas and in, in a lot of areas for that sense and jr redinger I, I would say fits that mold as well so it's certainly it's um i'm saying all that i, I i've lost my train of thought but uh i i do feel like um i i shouldn't have done that approach of coming up uh, and attacking the person who was in the foundation. I should have spent more time listening. I went in with an agenda um, when I was trying to address the problem with them. I, knowing what I know now, I would have never done that. My first well, approach should have been- Hold on a second. I'm getting like some real weird high-pitched sound. Oh. And I'm getting um, static when you move across okay. the mic too. I'm sorry. I was moving my hand as well. I should probably stop doing that. <laughs> okay. Um, let's, that's better. It stopped there. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was just a really weird sound. Okay. I'm right. sorry. Um, tell me, who is this JR person that you mentioned? So JR Rodinger, he, he's the it's founder. It's coming back. Wait, it's coming back. Uh -oh. Maybe it's. Uh -oh. Let me move my, my setup around a little bit. I don't know if it's a table or whatnot. Maybe if I even unplug, I'm going to unplug my headset and um, let me put some of the cushion around here. Can you hear me? I can hear you okay. Okay. All right, let me turn up the volume here. <clears throat> and move my keyboard because I'm so fancy. <laughs> okay, so I'll try this with my mic here. Sure. Am All I right. still coming through in a strange way? Or? No, I'm not. I'm not hearing it. Maybe it was just from my yeah. headset. I don't know. And if people gripe about the sound, they're just going to have to bitch because you know what? It yeah. is what it is. Yes, we'll do our best. <laughs> anyway, okay, so yes. this person... 
JR, whoever, tell me who that person, I, I don't know that name, and I'm presuming he was the founder of this organization. That's correct. So JR Redinger, he was a previous Amway distributor. Um, I believe he worked his way up into that organization, as so many people do. I, it's not something that I, I shared with you, but uh, I do have a history map of the MLM industry that I've interconnected many of the companies and where founders have come from. Many of them originate directly from Amway. Um, this is sort of a evolution of the industry. Um, J.R. Redinger is one of them. Uh, he uh, partnered with his wife, Lauren Redinger. Um, J.R. actually appears in John Oliver's segment. He's the Jim Jones type character that they show. He's the guy yelling at the gravestone, the Joe Nobody gravestone about not living his life and not choosing this opportunity of MLM marketing and the, the dimmer rights that he was yelling about on stage. Like He, he was that character. He's He's definitely has that kind of, I don't know, he, he's more of a quiet person in, in normal life, but when he's up on that stage, that, that's his living, breathing nature. Like that's, he just, that's what he's living for every time he has that conference full of 23,000 people or however many people he has there. Um, and he's gone to Taiwan as well to speak um, where he's had a translator um, communicate his, his ideas to people in Taiwan. Like he, he certainly is, someone who I think is completely absorbed by the idea that he's doing something sensational for the world, that he's innovated a new practice and that he thinks that he's bringing the world something so valuable. Um, I, I, I think that there are certainly whispers in his mind that he's doing something that is not good and it's damaging other people. But I think like many of us, like if you talk to Mark Zuckerberg, he, he would say that Facebook has, has sort of revolutionized the world for the better. But I mean, I, you talk to someone on Capitol Hill or you talk to Kara Swisher from Recode Media, like they will tell you that this is not good. And he could possibly be classified as a, as a 21st century evil doer. But for those people that are doing those actions, um, they're not questioning themselves. And they can't because that's going to erode their, their empire and their belief in themselves. And it's, it's hard like it's not simple um it would be nice just to sort of cast them as an evil villain but i i find it difficult to have that kind of understanding of these founders i i think there's more complexity to it i i think they're they're consuming the the false um nature that they're sort of putting out they're they're only absorbing the positive sort of benefits like i've created 25 millionaires am i not the greatest person in the world why is are people not having parades in my honor for creating this business that created 25 millionaires but he's forgetting about the 130,000 people that he's made lose money in order to make those millionaires possible and that's kind of like the economics of the, the situation yeah i i think um people are at the top the ceos i think they they have to buy into the story yeah. They have to buy into that what they're doing, they are servicing the world, if you will, and, you know, bringing something, for instance, in Beachbody, um, I'm positive, Carl Deichler believes that what he's doing, you know, it's, it's like helping with the obesity trend, and definitely there is. The Beachbody workouts are great. The Shakeology, not so sure about that. The fact that there is, you know, this MLM structure that's a, to me horrible. If it was still just Beachbody when they were just doing the infomercials and just getting the workouts you know, out there to the world, that would be right. one thing. But it's the addition of the MLM 
to it. And I want to say um, the motto is, oh, now it's just going to slip from my head. Okay. But something about basically cha changing lives and, you know, right. basically making everybody's life better through what they're offering. And right. so since he believes that, that then the leaders have to believe that and they have to perpetuate that. And anybody coming up has got to start believing that as well. And hopefully those people to the leaders will stay in as long as possible before they exit stage left. And as a weight loss program, but many MLM corporations do so well in that area. It doesn't work for everyone as most things do, but building that community of people that are sort of so sort of reliant on, on seeing you live a healthy lifestyle and sort of that serving as a constant reminder of like, hey, I'm here with you. Like, let's go do our workouts together. Like, let's let's get those Instagram photos up so we can show our before and after so we can get more people recruited into this business. Like creating those extra layers of accountability to to your health. I, I imagine that those have very substantial sort of benefits to to people in terms of delivering on those results outside of Shakeology or, or any sort of supplement that you're taking. Just the fact that you have that community that's so sort of um, connected to a change that you want to make in your life it is powerful in that way. But it, it's so disappointing that it comes at the cost of this MLM structure that it is exploiting so many people. Yeah, and that is the problem is that although there's, I guess, under all of it, there's something kind of good, but then the overall structure is by far more damaging than the good that you are setting out to do. Now, I really want you to share with us, because I know you, you sent me some slides that you put together, which explains the economics of everything. And I really want to share that with my audience and have you walk us through that and explain it to us. Can you do that? Sure. Sure. So I, I, I do have an economic model in here. I, I have a couple others that, that I, I will be able to share if the audience uh, enjoys this take. Um, I wanted to tailor it more towards just a, a general understanding of how we can conceptualize the industry, um, knowing that we're going into a new year in 2020. How can we sort of change some of the phrasing around it? Because we ca constantly get caught up in the trap of um, we talk to someone who's inside this organization or someone who's considering it. We mentioned a pyramid scheme. Some people are trained on how to handle that question, right? A lot of distributors know full well what a pyramid scheme is, but they want to get you to explain it so then they can give you their coined answer in terms of saying, well, you've got it all wrong. Actually, you're involved in a pyramid scheme, right? They want to give you that sort of element of confusion to sort of throw you off on your toes. And I kind of want to engage in the discussion of like, maybe we should change the way that we, we approach um, that initial conversation to put them off their toes a little bit and to be the one in the position where we're then explaining to them sort of what this concept is and why we are concerned that their organization fits that fits that mold. So I, I took that approach and I'm also going to explain an economic model with that. But um, yes, I can I can share my screen with you and, and we can talk about um, what I have in mind. Cool. Um, so uh, this is a PDF uh, format. It, it does go through um, the four models that I, I propose that we can sort of consider to use instead of the, the typical term pyramid scheme. Um, we have an iceberg model and a pancake model down here below. Um, these are two models that were proposed in uh, John M. Taylor's work. John M. Taylor, I'll introduce him a little bit later, but he's done a tremendous amount of work for this industry. He did pass away last year. 
um, but he, he's the work that he's done is remarkable. And and if you have the time, I, I definitely recommend checking out MLM Unmasked. But there's a lot of uh, summary documents available as well. And then um, one sort of passing remark that I found rather interesting was the the volcano model as well. So I'll, I'll walk through these four models. And if you have any questions, just let me know. <laughs> Um, so in walking through the, the, these four models, I want to make sure that people are sort of on the same page as to what my understanding is of the industry. So obviously MLMs, multi-level marketing companies, they operate through a mechanism of um, selling product to uh, consumers. Ultimately, that is the ambition one would hope. But it, because of the compensation plan and the structures and the various incentives in play, they ultimately are more incentivized to find more individuals to recruit into the company in order to advance their position and be more eligible for bonuses and whatnot. So that creates adverse problems, which is why organizations like the FTC are targeting um, MLM companies. Uh, TINA, which is an excellent organization that I, I have to call out, um, it's Truth in Advertising. They've done a lot of the work. Um, the reason why the Neora suit was brought the attention of the FTC was arguably because of much of the work that Truth in Advertising has done on that case. Um, Neora is a uh, skincare company. Um, they originally were using a product called Miriam Oleander. Um, I did a brief analysis of this company um, and it's posted on Ethan Vanderbilt's blog. Uh, but essentially what it is, is it's, it, Miriam Oleander is, is a type of poison um, it's used to treat cancer patients, um, and they have extracted some of the essence of that and have turned it into a skin cream that uh, makes wrinkles fade away. But essentially what's happening is that your skin is swelling in a, in a micro manner and, and causing it to sort of puff up and appear as if the wrinkles are gone. But uh, as I guess most miracle products go, it's not actually a miracle product. So there, there's a current case going on right now where the FTC is suing Neora. Neora, um, rather uncharacteristically, is also counter-suing the FTC, accusing the FTC of overstepping its bounds and not properly evaluating what a pyramid scheme is. So it's an interesting case that's going to be worth watching. Uh, a lot of the, the companies that are um, using the MLM model, they're associated with a lobby group called the DSA, mm -hmm. which is right here. Um, the Direct Selling Association is rallying behind Neora because it's one of their own. Um, Neora was a very fast-growing company and, and sort of showed the um, rather youthfulness of the, uh, of the market. Um, people were sort of growing skeptical that MLMs were going to die. In the internet age and Neora was kind of their, their beacon of like no they're not uh, this company grew to a billion dollars in under four years so it's a great example of how it all works and how it still works as a formula so all of these situations are going on in the background but we still have the, this constant sort of problem of like how how is this working and, and, and why is this structure still existing um, given that most people are able to sort of identify it as a pyramid scheme and it, you can find material like it on the internet if, if you search for it. But there's several sort of caveats and sort of being able to identify that on your own. Um, there was also a landmark ruling out for the FTC in AdvoCare. They were able to shut down the business model that 
use the MLM structure. Advocare is now banned from doing so. And um, there's several members of their, their top tier group that's banned from doing MLM as well. So they can't move on to another company and open another empire in that way. So it was certainly a big win for the Federal Trade Commission on that. Is that okay to go ahead? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I'm sorry to go through this big explainer, but I, I figured it was, it was worth quickly running through some of this information. This is a collection of all the board members on the Direct Selling Association. Um, I do want to point out the fact that this is an industry that claims that it's 75% women. They're all working to empower women, but I mean, most of these companies are run by men. Um, as you can see, uh, of the 40-person board uh, that they have, some hold double positions. There are no women that hold double positions on the board. Um, only 30% of the entire board is female, representing the 75% industry. As we know, most of the people in the organization are uh, the ones who are making money are at the top. So these individuals that are founding these companies, they're technically in the business of exploiting a lot of single mothers or, or those who do get involved. It's not just single moms, obviously. There's still 25% of the American industry that it is male. And I, there are some markets around the world where it's upwards of 60% that are male in, in these direct selling companies. So um, it's not, it shouldn't just be characterized as that, but it, it's certainly concerning in that manner. And it, it it's often cast as like a woman empowerment thing, but it, it seems like when you actually dig into the numbers, it's, it's not doing that at all. It's, it's a false flag. Um, Tina, which I, which I had mentioned previously, they did an audit of all of the DSA companies. So this is not all of the DSA companies. This is only a, a small handful, as you can see, Herbalife and New Skin and Longevity. I don't believe Beachbody is on here, um, but you have uh, Life Vantage and Metafast and Forever Living Products and Amway. Um, these are all like, well-known names once you sort of get into the research of the MLM. Um, all of the people who are sitting on the board use MLM play pay plans. The Direct Selling Association claims that uh, their members also include people that don't use this, but their entire board is made up of people that are only using compensation plans with an MLM structure. So um, they might exist. I, I, I don't deny that. But I mean, the people who are lobbying for this organization are not the ones that are, are off that plan. So. Um, and then you also have the Direct Selling Caucus. So the Direct Selling Caucus includes both Democrats and Republicans in Congress. Um, these are the representative names. If you have a representative on this list, I do recommend getting in touch with them. They typically only get information from the DSA in terms of formulating policies. There is a, uh, a bill that's, uh, I don't know if it's stalled or, or whatnot, but it was called the anti-pyramid selling um, legislation. Unfortunately, it, it doesn't really properly address the concerns um, and it may also serve to protect many of these companies uh, from legal, legal issues. So um, it, it's worth contacting these people and trying to share the stories that you know because I feel they often don't get get told this information. Obviously, there's a ton of other money in politics that gets involved in this, but I do feel like the power of story is important. So these individuals are, are important to try to reach out to. Um, if you're interested, I, I put together a Twitter list. If you're interested in adding your, your representative from there as well, um, you can check out my information uh, through Twitter. <clears throat> um, 
so going through that as an intro, as like a, a brief overview of some of the dynamics that are going on in this, this industry, um, that brings me into trying to explain, okay, so if we use the pyramid scheme model, how can we better explain it? Or how could we choose a different model to then describe to people about what's going on? So the, the one that I start with is, is the pancake model. Um, the pancake model was brought to the attention of John M. Taylor when he was speaking with one of his sort of friends in, in Utah. Uh, John M. Taylor is a, uh, he was a Church of Latter-day Saints member. He was an active member in that organization. And he was also a New Skin distributor. Um, he came out of New Skin, which is a cosmetic and skincare uh, program. It's, it's very active throughout Asia. It, it is a, has a large market in China. Um, and was really impacted by a recent move by the Chinese to try to crack down on pyramid selling schemes. Uh, it interferes with their sort of indoctrination methods of Chinese communism. So they try to interrupt uh, these organizations that are that are ultimately getting in the way of that. So they had a hundred day um, freeze period on any organizations that were selling uh, nutritional supplements because they were having issues with them creating this Sort of mentality and idea around that. So New Skin uh, was really hurt this year by that. Um, John M. Taylor worked for that organization and his wife uh, was sort of able to convince him out of it. He turned uh, against the organization as he became to better understand how it was how it was developing. And this concept of the pancake model was introduced to him by, as I was saying, a neighbor in Utah. Um, they we're describing the fact that it didn't quite fit the mold of a pyramid structure because as you continue to expand the structure, it flattens out and it becomes almost like a straight line when you talk about the number of people in a tier um, below um, the first three, four, or five iterations of, of the pyramid. So he was saying the, these first four layers, yes, they, they model the idea of a pyramid, but as you get deeper into that structure, it ends up flattening out and stretching out to such a point where it just becomes this line with a little blip in the top. So they likened it to a, a pancake. So just to quickly go through that, this mini pixel here that I drew um, is a 0.1 size on uh, Word. I, I did an expansion of five, so that per one pixel had to find five other pixels in order to join their network. Um, and those five had to find five, and it kept on going as an iterative process. By the fifth layer, I ran out of screen space. I had to wrap it back around um, in order to still see um, the pancake. Uh, there was nine layers of depth here, which would include 3,125 people, and then 15,625 people in the next layer. Now this is an important model to consider because it gives you a proper representation of, ideally, this is how these models would expand if they were able to accomplish what they were setting out to do, right? They, <coughs> sorry. If five people joined the company and were able to find their five, who were able to find their five, who were able to find their five, ideally, this is how it would set up. And this ideal is monstrous. It is problematic. It is it, just, just looking at it as a normal person. You could see, wow, I could make a lot of money if I'm at the top, but the vast majority of people who are going to get involved are not people who are making any money. So 
it's a good demonstration in that way, but it's not necessarily the most realistic because you don't have this symmetric progression, right? And most, most organizations are not growing symmetrically. You typically have longer legs stretching out of certain um, distributors in their model. Has that been your experience, Alanda, with Beachbody? Um, you know, looking at this, I would say absolutely. Myself, I think I was just, you know, part of the line, but I wasn't able to create anything myself. Yeah. You know, I, I really think that in terms of people get involved in these things, because I have seen late comers join Beachbody, but they already had a network. And if you already have influence, you can get people to join. But if you're just the average person that, you know, is not um, an actor, because there was an actress, um, a Spanish actress who joined Beachbody and she was able to rise up in the ranks very quickly. Well, you have influence. If you are the president of your sorority, you have influence. If you are a volunteer at your church and it's a very large church and everybody knows you, you have influence. So all of that, I think, is part of it is um, the influence that you have when you join this. Yeah, it, that, that's very powerful as well in an international context. If, if you have a well-connected family overseas and they have a number of distributors that are above them or sort of going to benefit from the expansion into a new market, um, you typically see those first entrants into that new market doing very, very well because they have the entire organization behind them into expanding that, right? It, it will fade out over time, but it, it's that initial sort of um, splash into a new country where, where you really see that kind of, like those people are the ones who benefit and they also become the success stories that you get to tell for those other people that are never going to have that same level of success. Yeah. Um, this is a valuable model. I, I, I know a number of people that prefer this model. Um, the, I, I coined the term of the organization at the top as the butter on the pyramid. That's the one that sort of is the high fat kind of loving um, situation that people want to be in. Everything else below is the, the cake. Um, it, it's the organization that people think that they're having all the fun, but ultimately people want to be in the butter and it's just not going to happen. It, it, in many cases of these 15,625, a very, very, very small percentage of them will ever find that success in, in, in this kind of model. So people appreciate it for that. And also the, the expansion rate. Like I was considering just sort of showing like the amount I would have to shrink the screen out in order to fit the, the full length of these lines. But um, I opted for this model just because it's, it's also de demonstrative of just how fast these organizations grow if they're growing ideally, which, which they don't. Well, I think it's interesting showing this also because, you know, if you are the butter, it's like how much of yourself do you have to lose in order to stay being part of the butter? Yeah. You know, because I really think you have to lose like part of your humanity right. to stay in this. Right. And it's like we were just saying, is perhaps it's you're losing humanity or you just lose touch with reality. You, you, you just don't look at the full picture and you're only looking at the other people that are in the butter with you and the other people that are just below you that you're convinced that if you find enough people for them that they're going to be just as well off as you are. And you think that if I can drag those few people up, then I, I'm successful, right? Because 
no one else has made a, a millionaire and if I get to make a millionaire then then I've changed the world already yeah and I mean it goes back into but they but they buy into the story the myth yeah. that you know yeah. Yeah. um the the other model that I'll just mention because I found it rather interesting I haven't fully flushed out this idea but um, someone had, had sort of made a passing comment on Facebook about um, it looking like a, a volcano. And I don't think that there was much thought put into that comment because it was just a passing Facebook comment, but it, it really got me thinking about sort of how, how that could function as a, as a representation of, of the industry. So it, it, a little bit of geography and social studies, I, I won't spend too much time on it. Again, I, I'm also not a specialist in this area. but. Um, Volcanoes, if you look at a, a sort of description of them, obviously you have the magma chamber down below. What's happening is you have tectonic plates shifting. Um, that shifting is creating pressure. That pressure builds up and creates more rock that falls into the magma chamber. That increase in pressure ultimately builds as it climbs up through the, the main vent in the, the volcano and will erupt if it is not dormant. Right, That eruption will lead to slow-moving lava that sort of creeps down the, the sides of the volcano and you also have secondary cones that will sort of seat that eruption but is not part of the, the main explosion event that takes place. And I, I wanted to think about sort of how, how can this properly demonstrate what happens in MLM and I think in some ways it, it is very good at describing some of the sort of interesting uh, mechanisms that take place inside the organization. So. If you think about the, the magma being um, the products, um, this is what people think are the core of the business, right? This is what people think is really what's happening in these volcanoes, but really what's happening is there's tectonic plates that are shifting, right? That's sort of like the, the coalescing of recruits that are coming into the organization, right? Everyone thinks the, the product is, is the main sort of source of revenue in these companies, but it's not. There, there, there's something else that's happening that's driving that eruption that's going to take place. Um, you you have um, this explosion or this funnel up to the top, right? The, the way that you're supposed to do the business, right? This is the way that you, you get out to success. This is the way you make it up to the top of the pyramid. This is the formal compensation plan. This is the, the idea of duplication. If you follow these ways, then this is how you're going to find success. And of course, within that organization, there are some people that have their own sort of ways of building that success and they leave people off on those branches, right? These are like the bonus tiers within Beachbody or, or some of those other mechanisms for which people can find success and they sort of build their own little empires on the side of, of this main empire. <coughs> but it ultimately isn't going to be as successful as that, that main route in a lot of ways. Um, this, this area of explosion, right? It, it, it can be attuned to the idea that many top leaders will break off from this MLM, realizing that they sort of reach their peak of what, what is available, that they don't, in the, the, of course in volcanoes, they don't go off to create new volcanoes, but in this case, it's just sort of that sort of eruption of um, sort of pressure that's building up over time that they're sort of sitting just below this area. And it's that top area of the volcano that blows up as pressure sort of reaches a, a breaking point. And then ultimately what people see um, on the news and that sort of thing when volcanoes happen is kind of these first party scientific studies that seem to sort of illustrate that things are all good and, and that um, these people get lots of cars and this wonderful uh, new product is a miracle product for, for your skin. And in fact, like it's, 
it's rather damaging. It, it, it's going to hurt you. But uh, the thing that people mostly see are, are, are these sort of false claims that are made by the companies. I think it's very interesting that you have this whole this eruption thing and you mentioned the break off because this is something I have definitely seen. For instance, um, I, I think you, you may have seen my videos that I did on Enagic, which is the water filtration MLM. And there are people, Darren and Mike are the ones that I've done the videos on that they have their own little thing come to their webinar. And then after you go to their free webinar, you spend $149 because you're going to create your own business while right. you're just paying to get this course, which is really put together poorly. Yes. And you don't even get the full thing because the entire point is to then get you to get into a magic. But then you're putting out Facebook ads, but you're not going to be able to bring in people like they can because they've already built up, you know, quote, a reputation. They have the finances to do it. There's people like Ray Higdon. Um, he has a group called Rank Makers. I have lifetime access to that. And he at one point was in MLM, but there's more money in trying to teach people how to create a successful MLM business. Right. But they're not really creating many success stories. Now, the few people that do have success Yes, they will highlight those. And so then you are thinking, well, if I just work more, if I work harder and I follow this plan, then I'm going to have that success. That's There's people like Eric Worre, um, the Meltons, Nadia and John Melton. I mean, there's just so many people yeah. that are, you know, and I don't think there's enough focus on the fact that there's all these like little breakoffs that are going on within the in industry because right. everybody who is in MLM, they're looking for that secret sauce. They're looking for what can make this work. And they're That's going great. out and spending yeah. more money, like I did, on all of these other things. Yeah. Yeah. And they, there, there's not enough time. Like it, You see that the FTC is, is so slow to act on the companies themselves because they have to go through the legal process in order for someone to also sort of pursue these other avenues of people that are exploiting these people that are so thirsty for success like this, this opportunity is sort of made within reach for people, at least in their concept and they believe this story. And then it's just, it, it's not really there, but people keep telling you that, oh, you're just not working hard enough and you just need to find these solutions. Like it's really simple. All you need to do is find two people, find two people, find two people, and then you're there, you're set, you're done. Why can't you just do this? All you need is the leads. All you need is a little bit more help. Why don't you take this course? Or why don't you take this advice column? And it, it's those people that are sort of tapping into that, which are typically the ones who are at the top of this organization. Mm -hmm. like it, and, and they've reached sort of their peak level of, of performance. Like it, typically within these organizations, um, there is a cap to their, their earning potential. And, and typically in order to satisfy them, they will sort of reorganize a little bit, but it, it's not, it's not as much money as they could be making and they have a lot more free time because they don't have to do as much recruiting anymore. So they, they explore these other business opportunities that, that do exist. And I mean, I fault them because I, I don't agree with that in terms of a moral standpoint at all. But I mean, in terms of someone who's being trained to do business better, they, I guess that's what they're doing. At least that's what they believe they're doing. But they're part of the problem because they're continuing. <laughs> I, I, I think that they're a, a major part of that problem because part, uh, the, the incredible issue of MLM is, is not the fact that people get involved, it's the fact that people stay far longer than they should. And a lot of the reason for that is because there's not enough customers that are 
are naturally born out of this, this industry because people can't find people that actually want to buy the product. They need to find other people who are convinced that they need to get this product in order to find the results that they're looking for, as well as if they want to get any money from this company, they need to be paying a certain amount or buying a certain amount of volume each month in order to be eligible for recognition. So the fact that these two systems are at play, then other people are exploiting that kind of operation. Um, there was someone that I was talking to, he, he was talking about Amway and, and tool scans. And then it, it's a very similar idea in the sense that you pay for all the cassettes and videos and books and they come on a regular basis through auto ship and that kind of thing. Like it, 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 it's a insidious operation going on for sure. Well, I lost Dave. I don't think I mentioned that he's in Iraq teaching right now and electricity there is kind of dicey. So we are scheduling another time to get together so he can finish up and we can continue our chit chat. And until then, Remember that your story is important. Be sure to tell it. I know there's shame, there's blame, there's guilt, there's all kinds of reasons, excuses, whatever you want to call it, not to do it. But being silent isn't going to do any good. Being silent isn't going to help anyone. And if you would like to tell your story, if you'd like to be a guest, reach out to me, DM me on my socials. There's going to be links to that, you know, in the description or email me at the recoveringhunbot at gmail.com. Until next time.